ninja, ninja, ninja. Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 39 of A View to a Cocker Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Ninja Sentai Cocker Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today, bud? Uh, not bad, man. It is a gorgeous day here in Cleveland. Absolutely We've had some hot ones, but today beautiful. is like kind of kind of stunning like you get it once or twice a year like it's really really beautiful this doesn't matter to you it's just making my life a whole lot better you know i like to think dave that you know listen they're they're not just tuning in for the super sentai they're also tuning in for you and me and the weather forecast well that's a nice thing (laughs) that took a different turn at the end there but yes hey listen if, if there are there are three consistent things on this show it's you and me chatting, right? The Super Sentai television program, and every and week us talking about what the weather is like. You know, apparently in other countries they do not talk about the weather, and visitors from other countries find it slightly odd that Americans are perpetually talking about the weather. Is that so? Which, yeah, this is apparently. I mean, like, listen, I don't have a lot of like immigrant friends, I guess, so I don't know this for a fact. I just read it somewhere. And I was just so... I didn't know how to handle that information because, like, if you're not talking about the weather, what what would you talk about? Well, you know, what's interesting is that, um, and this is totally far afield of our two-time award-winning opening segment, The Five Stars, but before we get into that, um, Dave... I remember when I was living abroad and I was speaking with a friend of mine who was British, she said that she was reading a book that said that British people were the only people who talked about the weather. And then Americans, when they meet new people, instead talk about geography, like where they're from, like where they have been and that sort of stuff. Oh, well, we do also talk about that. And it, we also, t- we talk a lot about like your ancestry. Like if you're not American and you don't know this, like maybe it's just because we live in a country where like 99% of the population are immigrants from someplace else. Like we're very interested in where your ancestors are from. Uh, and people know like, oh yeah, I'm like 10% Irish or like whatever. Like that's just like, that's information that Americans tend to have like readily at hand, which maybe is a little bit weird. Yeah. Because I guess if you're German... You're just German, probably. Yeah, I mean, more than likely. Yeah, so... I mean, then again, Dave, this this book that uh, my, my friend was reading from was also saying that Americans, once they pick up their hamburger to begin eating it, never put it down until it is finished. This was that... an absolute truth that this book laid out as like an idiosyncrasy of, of Americans. So, you know, t- grain of salt, I guess is what I'm saying. Is that not... True, like as I think about it, that's pretty true, though. It is true, but it's not a matter of like etiquette, it's just a matter of convenience because burgers are slapping. <laughs> it's no, that's a true thing. Uh, anyways, anyway, Matt. as as previously <laughs> mentioned, all of this weird nonsense aside, as previously mentioned, Dave, we have our two time award winning opening segment, Dave Shining in the Heavens. There are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So our first star of the week, Matt, is uh, is a black hole. This did actually happen prior to our last recording. I just couldn't bring myself to talk about it. Of course, you know if you care at all, the Cleveland Cavs did they did lose the NBA championship. Yeah, so they, they had been champs, champs all year. Yeah, you can never now, take that away from them, except in the very specific way that it has been taken away from them. Yeah, so Golden State are the champs. Champs all year, but now I don't follow basketball real intensely, Matt. And uh, I've I've realized this thing about people from Cleveland is that people from Cleveland either this has been my I think this is pretty true either do not care about sports at all, right, or are like super super intense fans because Cleveland lose like traditionally Cleveland loses all the time. 
Like, I feel like you kind of have to be in one camp. Because you, if you only care a little bit, you're just like, you're just constantly bummed out. Like, you have to care so hard that it doesn't matter that they lose all the time. Yeah, exactly. And so there's only... Like, but there we've might actually... be plenty of fair weather fans in Cleveland, but like, it's very, like, it is not fair weather that often. <laughs> Right, so you wouldn't know. So I am absolutely, but I am. I'm kind of a fair weather fan yeah, because, like, I just, you know, like, listen, it was in my, in my head growing up, like, we lost and that was the way it was. And, like, if you dug it, that's fine. But, like, I wasn't going to invest myself because we lost. And so I don't have, like, a long history of, of looking into these things. But I have been, like, vaguely following it because we have been doing pretty well, which is a very exciting thing. And, uh... This is my this is my understanding of how this championship went. Uh, basically, that the Cavs are noble, good-hearted men, possibly heroes, and uh, I mean, and listen, the Golden what's State. A hero day? <laughs> yeah, and the Golden State Warriors are cads and villains, and uh, I think this is basically uh, pretty much everybody agrees about this. That's not a joke. Uh, I th- I've actually been reading some stuff that like. Well, Golden State Warrior. I, I, no, this I, is. I not- think, Dave, that if you were to go out there, you would find that not everyone agrees with this point of view. No, not everybody, but there is apparently. Like, I'm just saying, I am not making this up. That there is kind of a narrative that apparently Golden State has like decided to lean into real hard. That they are sort of now that they're like, yeah, we're the bad guys. Like, come and get some. And, uh, and this is kind of why it happened, Matt. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the two squads, the two, like, you know, the Cavs and the Golden State Warriors, the two championships they met before this, the squads were, like, basically identical. Like, they were no big changes in either team, right? So the Golden State had won one, and we, Cleveland, had won one. And, uh, and everybody was sort of looking forward to, like, oh, man, this is going to be the third year. Like, they're both probably going to go to the championships again, and we're going to see which of these two teams that have already met twice before in, like, basically the same configuration is is really, you know, who's going to get the third victory and, like, really show themselves that, like, they were the best team, right? Right. Well, instead of that happening, and, like, listen, I recognize that the whole of pro sports is, like, you go and you pay people to play for you, and, like, that is a thing. But in this particular instance, the reason that I guess that the narrative about Golden State is bad is that instead of having like the same squad meet, they just went and found the biggest star that was not already part of one of their two teams and just hired that guy. And then when they did that, a bunch of people, and not just people in Cleveland, I want to emphasize this, not just people in Cleveland were like, oh, well, oh, well, okay then. Uh, I guess you'll, I guess you just win now. And uh, that's not very fun. And they did, and they did, and they just won. And so, uh, but they did, they did win. So, congratulations to those jerks, I guess. This, uh, this has, this has been apparently one of our <laughs> new segments, uh, Sour Grapes with Dave J. Sour Grapes with Dave J. So, congratulations to those jerks, I guess. Champs all year. I guess you'll. I guess you just win now, and uh, that's not very fun. Champs all year. The Golden State Warriors are cads and villains. Champs all year. So, Matt, what? What is our? Uh, what's our second star of the week? Uh, second star of the week, Dave, is that following that black hole, uh, I want to talk to you about a blackout. Okay. Um, so, and and follow me here, because the, the next words out of my mouth are not what you might expect, or they don't mean the things that you think I'm... Anyway, look, just listen for I'm a I'm with moment. you, Matt. I have faith, and I will withhold judgment until you're done. Okay. So, the story of this blackout begins at a bar. <laughs> now, I know what you're oh, thinking. Oh, y- no. Yes, no, I can see where you would want us to withhold judgment about that one. Um, what actually happened is that I stopped in for a drink while I was on my way to the grocery store because the, the two that I typically go to are adjacent store and bar. Right on. And while I was there, the power went out on that block. Like there was a, like oh. a pretty intense rainstorm that like rolled through and 
because the like the electrical grids are all weird in Cleveland, like the power was out at that bar, but kind of not anywhere else on the street. Oh, yeah, that is a weird thing, is that our electrical system is, like, super old and hinky. (laughs) So we're just sitting in this, like, in the blackness of this bar, and what I realized, and I've been through this experience before, actually, you and I both have been to a bar with the power out one time. Oh, yeah, that time at karaoke. Yeah, uh, it was karaoke, and all the power was out at the bar, so they just lit the whole place up with candlelight and plugged the karaoke machine into the building next door, like via a extension cord. And we yeah, had, like, like they ran it through some windows, right? Yeah, it was great. It was like super nice, like mood lighting, very chill. Uh, like, yeah, it was a, it was a bizarrely pleasant experience. So yeah, this, this I think is what I've come to understand is that going to a bar when the power is out is really great. Almost to the point where I feel like that could be a gimmick for a bar. Just like, yeah, we're open during the daytime. Um, you know, we have like a mechanical cash register that we don't need power for. And like, that's pretty much it. When the sun goes down, the bar is closed. But everyone could just come in here and enjoy like the wonderful peace and quiet of just sitting in a room where there is no electricity like, you don't hear the hum of the coolers, you don't hear, okay, actually, I guess that could go pretty badly because there is supposed to be beer in this bar. Maybe it's down in the basement. I don't know. Listen. I was going to say, basements get cold, it's cool. I, I'm making this up off the top of my head, but I really did enjoy the experience. Like, the, the owners of the bar happened to be there at the time, so they ran down the street to the dollar store and bought, like, a mountain of glow sticks. Like, every glow stick in a dollar <laughs> store. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them That's were regular awesome. glow sticks and some of them were like very clearly like meant to be configured into like you know like noodled together into a ball or something so we we're just this dark ball <laughs> bar rather with all these like weird neon like lights shining in the, the darkest corners to keep people from tripping on stuff like a so very just like a <laughs> yeah like a, like a really quiet very chill rave Listen, man, uh, okay, I'm actually going to touch on the fourth recurring cornerstone of this podcast, which is that I am basically an 80-year-old man. Okay. And I have discovered, this is my my firm conviction, basically everything is better if the lights are turned, like if just all of the sensory input is, is at like 40% of where it normally is. Like any restaurant that I go into... I ask to be seated, like, away from the television. Like, I don't want to see the TV. I don't need to see it. Turn the music down. It doesn't need to be so bright. Like, just chill. Just chill out, dude. Just just let your senses rest, man. And your life is going to be so much better. And I think your, your power outage bar story is proof positive of this thing. Like, just chill out. It really, yes. I mean, listen, I agree. We, we, are, we are, as usual, uh, together on that. Uh, but Dave, speaking yeah. of bright colors and loud things, um, what is our third Star of the Week? So, our third Star of the Week, Matt, is Wonder Woman. We didn't talk about it last week, although it had been out. And, uh, but I did go see it. I see. Okay, so I still have not seen it. Oh, really? Okay, well, well you should see it. I, I like if you it. get around to it. Yeah, that's honestly, it's kind of like an if you get around to it, go see it. If not, like definitely watch it when it hits like Amazon or Netflix or whatever. But I wouldn't freak out about seeing it. Uh, okay, now I had heard very good things about this movie. Well, okay, listen, Matt. So I have these babies now, right? Sure. As previously and discussed. I'm leading somewhere, as I've mentioned, yeah. And, and so babies love I, Wonder Woman. Babies love Wonder Woman. We took the... No. Uh, So I am now in a headspace where I can get very excited about someone doing something that, like, objectively is, like, pretty basic and simple, but for them is really, really exciting. Okay. Like, the babies managed to roll over, which, like, yeah, whatever. Like, I can stand up and walk, but for a baby, rolling over is, like, a really big deal, right? In the same way... Wonder Woman was not actually, like, it was not, like, a mind-blowing movie, but for a DC Comics movie, it was, like, really, really good. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is, like, the baby rolling over of DC Comics movies. It's it's straight up the best DC Comics movie since the first two Christopher Nolan Batman movies. I would say it's actually better than the third Nolan Batman, the name of which, for some reason, I can't remember uh, that is right the now. The Dark Knight Rises. 
Yes, thank you. I think it's actually probably better than The Dark Knight Rises, with the exception of Tom Hardy's Bane voice, which I would pay cash money to have as, like, my GPS navigation. Oh, it would be so good, like... Yeah, it would be incredible. <laughs> so, the the very quick you, version of this movie, Matt... Really adopted... Close, close the deal, Matt. ...on Route 73. There you go. <laughs> I was born to it. <laughs> So, so the, uh, the really quick synopsis of this movie, Matt, uh, very brief spoilers, it's not like mega complicated, is that it's Wonder Woman and she's fighting in World War I and she leaves the Isle of Themyscira and she enters the world of man to fight in World War I. The reason that she does this is that she is convinced that World War I is being caused by the war god Ares. Okay. And that if she can find and defeat the war god Ares... Basically, like, war will cease from the world and mankind will, like, finally live in harmony. Yeah, that tracks. And, yeah, and then in order to kind of, like, get to help her with this, she has Chris Pine's character, the name of which I actually don't remember. I I think that Chris Pine is playing the, like, classic Wonder Woman character Steve Trevor, who is, I think, in many, if not all, iterations of that character, like, the human, like, regular dude who... I think the original story was, and it probably is the same in this movie. Like he crash lands, like yeah, like that is exactly or what happens. The mascara. Yep, yeah, that is totally what happens. And then so, and so she is like with him, and there's like some fish out of water stuff. And then he also brings with him because she like needs to get to like the front lines in order to find Ares, because like that, of course, is where he is. And then so he, in order to help her do this thing. He gathers a sort of like international A team of like World War One guys around him. Dude, there's, and then, there's nothing I love more than an international A team of soldier dudes. I love it when it's yeah. actually the A team. I loved it when it was the Howling Commandos in uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Did love that. I also really loved that one scene in the second Thor movie where Thor, Loki, and the Warriors Three all just kind of became the A team for ten minutes. Yeah, that was pretty glorious. So. <laughs> there's some okay so there's some very bright spots of this movie the uh the action that they created for the three for the amazons i thought was really really neat they they made it very like distinct okay from sort of like you know they weren't just doing kung fu they did have this sort of like cool hybrid thing that was and i can't think of another way to say it i hope this isn't like offensive but like it was a very feminine fighting style mm-hmm. which did not mean that it wasn't like awesome and rad and like powerful and she totally ruled just that it was not this sort of like heavy-fisted like like she she was she didn't fight like the hulk she was much more like graceful and acrobatic okay. it was like super super cool um and it was kind of unique looking which is really neat cool. you know i know and- that um a lot of the people who are playing the Amazonians, not all of them, I don't think, but a, there are at least a handful of key ones that are like, were like professional athletes, like Olympians and boxers and stuff. And I, oh, that's rad. And Gal Gadot, yeah, that makes a ton I know, of like, sense. She, who, by the way, Gal Gadot, okay, so she's in like three of the Fast and Furious movies, maybe four. Oh, I, for some reason, I did not know that. Oh, by the way, she killed it as Wonder Woman. Okay, like, she was really, really good. Um, that is very good to hear because what, when I did that Fast and Furious marathon like a month or so ago, oh yeah, after watching those movies, I was like, oh, now I really want to watch Wonder Woman. Yeah, she was she was really really good as Wonder Woman. So. Like, and there were some really fun sort of like fish out of water moments, like I said before, where she's like, she doesn't understand how the world of man works. And she's like walking around London with like a shield and a sword and like everybody's weirded out. So that all was like really, really fun. Um, The rest of the, like, everything around that was... Okay, listen, if they come out with like a director's cut of this movie that has the like additional probably hours worth of footage that they needed to make me like invested and care about all the things that they very clearly wanted me to be invested and care about, then that would be very cool. But there were like a handful of things that they like signaled, like wink nudge real, real hard that like, you should care about this. Like her relationship with Steve Trevor. Like I didn't even remember that dude's name because like I cared so little about the relationship they were trying to create here. He has like a watch 
that like he gives her at the end that literally only got mentioned like one other time hey, listen, man, in the very beginning of the movie. To give it to a girl, whatever. So, and then the A team that he gathers around him, like I'm not gonna, I, I really shouldn't do this because I did enjoy the movie. It's just they had a Scotsman, and like his whole thing was that he was a sniper. Like he's like, oh, he's an amazing shot, and he like got this special rifle, and they're like, oh man, this rifle is amazing. It's got like this incredible scope, and he's gonna like snipe it, dude. And they could have just called that guy Telescope Man because that's the <laughs> only thing he used that rifle for. He literally never shoots anybody, I don't think. He just uses the scope to to check things out. And then another member of the E team, I'm calling them, is uh, is Native American, and he's like in France, and he's like working as a smuggler to like get stuff behind enemy lines to like people who are living, you know, and in, in, Difficult situations, which is like rad. Uh, he does use smoke signals at one point in the movie. And like, listen, man, maybe this is possible. And I want to comp to this. Maybe I'm the jerk because they like did a ton of research and figured out like which Native American tribe like really genuinely did use smoke signals and like figured out all their stuff and like made sure that like if you knew what you were talking about. That like, oh yeah, this guy is like very obviously from this particular group of Native Americans who did in fact use smoke signals. And so it absolutely makes sense that he would do it. Uh But since I don't know that and they did not have a way to like telegraph it to me, it just seemed a little like, here's our Native American. He uses smoke signals. And I was like, oh yeah, guys, oh, I'm not sure if that's cool. The the way that I'm willing to give that the benefit of the doubt is that since Wonder Woman is originally a World War II character and they were translating her back to World War One, maybe they wanted this guy to be one of like the uh, like the Navajo code talkers. Oh, but that didn't but... exist in World War One, so they had to like step it back to smoke signals. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, uh, it was fun. You can check it out. I wouldn't freak out if you don't see it uh, in the theaters, but it's definitely worth uh, it's definitely worth catching out. And it does actually give me very high hopes for for DC movies moving into the future. Like this is, I think, it was a real bright spot for them. Had this movie come out in two thousand and when did Iron Man come out? Uh, two thousand nine, two thousand. Eight somewhere. Anyways, had this movie come out when Iron Man came out, I think everybody would have like lost their minds and been like, "Man, Marvel needs to get with it and like start doing what DC is doing." Uh, except it is 2017, and Marvel has already been doing this right, thing right. for like nine years. Uh, Dave, so uh, yeah, so I, I've just checked the clock. We have been talking already for about 20 minutes. So let's wrap these last couple boy. of stars up right quick. What Dave is our fourth star of the week? So our fourth star of the week, Matt, is just some nerd, like, out-in-the-wild nerd reference stuff that I found, and I always get a huge kick out of it. I was at the grocery store, and I was walking past, and one of the workers was unloading, like, a pallet of beer, and on the side of one of these beers, the, the name of the beer is Space Station Middle Finger, which seems needlessly aggressive. <laughs> As in, like, space station, colon, middle finger, like, that's the name of the space station, which is kind of weird, but whatever. And uh, the the label, that's not what I care about. The point is that the label on the side of this case of beer, the font that they used to label this beer, like, it wasn't exactly the Games Workshop company font, but it was, like, super close and very obviously supposed to look like the Games Workshop font. And underneath it is like, it's not exactly the Warhammer 40k Space Marines winged skull, but it's like very definitely supposed to look like that thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then some of the box art on the side of the six pack has what's very obviously supposed to be like a Space Marine tank, except like not quite. Like the GoBots of Space Marine tanks. Yeah, this is the GoBot of Space Marine beer. And I just, like, I love it because clearly somebody at I Three Floyds is the name of the brewery. I took a picture of it. Clearly, like, somebody at Three Floyds perhaps one of the is Floyds. just, perhaps one of the Floyds, I think we can safely assume, is just super duper into Warhammer 40k. And, and like, they wanted you to know that they really dug it, but obviously they couldn't use the license stuff. So they just got, like, just as close as possible. That is very fun. Yeah, so I found some Space Marine beer. It was rad. Did you buy it? I don't it? know if it's any good. No. No, uh, I'm trying to keep them carbs low, man. Oh, that's right. Trim Healthy Mama. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, I, you know, honestly, and here's the truth, I probably wouldn't like it because it's from a craft brewery and craft brewery in America means loading your beer up with just as many hops as you can fit in that bottle. That is very actually, true. And I don't actually super like hoppy beers because they all taste like grapefruit. I don't like grapefruit. So that's that. I found Space Marine beer. Matt, what is our fourth star of the week? Dave, our fourth and final star of the week is bringing fifth, it back two fifth, weeks. My bad. Fifth star. In a row. Uh, it's a commute update. Commute update. Okay, so I'm driving to work the other day, right? You know, just keeping an eye on the traffic around me, trying to be a safe well, driver. Well, it's a commute commute update, so I assume that, yes, you were in fact driving to work. I was in my commute, yes. And I saw in front of me a car that was driving. I, I sadly have forgotten the make and model of the car, but the license plate was a vanity license plate, and it read 007ER. Now, listen... Man. Is it Pirate Trucker? No. But I think that there's it's some not. real possibilities to explore the world of 007ER. Like, there's a lot of ways that could go. I, I just really want to try to figure out the best one. Okay. So, obviously, there's Dr. Spy. Like, he is a spy that is also a doctor. Sure. Uh, you've got Spy Doctor, which is the doctor for the spies. Like, if, if 007 himself has... Like he would go see, he would go to the 007 ER. Yeah, like this, this is like okay. a, you know, 007 presses a button. This guy gets a message and he gets in his like, you know, roving ambulance that is actually a car uh, and drives wagon. to wherever 007 is and sets up like a mo- movable emergency room. Okay, so Dr. Spy, Spy Doctor. Yes. Um, there's also the option of just like a spy whose initials are ER, which listen, that's not very inventive, but also it is pretty dumb if you are a spy to have your license plate say 007 ER. So I think we can sort of give this guy, you know, like that's just who we're working with here. This is like Edward Roberts, the kind of dumb spy. Oh, oh, Matt, I just thought about this. What if he is in fact... It's not ER, it's ER. Like he's 007 ER, presumably, than someone else. Okay, so you've got James like he, Bond, what he who wanted. is 007. Yeah, and then there's this dude who is 007 ER. And that, of course, assumes then, that later on we will encounter someone else who is 007 EST, the finest of all James Bonds, <laughs> the James Bondiest of all. The Bondiest of all possible Bonds. So, ooh, which of those do I like the best? I I think I'm going with 007er. 007er is good. Or if 007 is a verb, he like this is someone who 007s you. I was going to say, yeah, he just 007s. He 007er. He's a 007er. That would also work. But I like I like the comparative version of this. The best. I think that's my favorite. So, uh just be on the lookout in your lives, guys, for a 007s. Yes. And while you are doing that, we are going to go watch episode 39 of Ninja Sentai Kaka Ranger. It's called, it's a special compilation, and it's kind of a weird episode. Uh, huh. okay. We are going to take a break. We're going to go watch that, and we will be right back. Ninja, ninja! Okay, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 39 of Ninja Sentai Kaka Ranger. It is called... It's a special compilation. And Dave, how special would you call this compilation? Okay, now, I know, Matt, that we said we were not going to say this anymore, but this is a really weird episode. It is a weird episode. And, yeah, like, the okay, the only reason I'm willing to say that, again, because, again, we promised that we would not say that anymore because just the whole show was weird. It's not weird like, oh, Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger is so weird, like what wacky monsters and stuff. It's just weird, like in the context of an episode of of TV, I've never seen an episode of any Super Sentai show like this. Yeah, it's weird uh, because, and, and we'll get into it shortly, 
it's as though when they were sitting down to make this episode, their initial thought was, it's time to do like a retrospective clip show episode. But then about halfway through the episode, they just kind of like forget that that's what they were doing. Yeah, it seems as though this episode is, if you've never seen any episodes of Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger, like, for whatever reason, you are just now starting this show, like, here you go, here's all the stuff that you need to know in order for, like, the rest of this show to make sense. Which, again, like, that's standard clip show stuff, but this is episode 39 of, like, 51, I think? Like, it's yeah. so late in the game. Like, who's getting into the show in episode 39 who needs this? Yeah, I don't know. It's very, very weird. And it's not as though the plot... Like, there's a lot of weird stuff that's gone on in this show, but it's not as though the overarching plot of it is super complicated that we really need to get this retrospective. Yeah, like, I just... Again, they have not done this with at least Die Ranger or Jetman. They just decided... That this was the time to do it, I guess. So, so okay. So there actually is a sort of a half episode in interspersed with all of the clips and like the explanations. So the episode opens up and it is a monster. Well, it's it's just people running away is the first thing that we get, and they're running away from Doradoras, and then we get a weird sort of like. I was like a Frankenstein style monster. It's like a giant, like stitched together monster. Yeah. It's actually kind of a cool look. It's weird. He's sort of like blocky and blue and he's stitched together, but not seemingly from like pieces of people. He's just Yeah, like, I have no idea what this dude is supposed to be made out like, of. Stitched together just from like different colored blue chunks with numbers and letters on them. So you could keep them all straight when you're putting them together. Yeah, but he's got, like, a big, like, conical head with no eyes, which is kind of neat. And his, his like, forearms are, like, super huge, and he's got, like, big fingers. So it's a cool look, and his name is uh, Noparabo. And he says in the past, like, his whole thing is he just scared people at night, but now things are different, which I guess he scares people during the day and kills them also. Yes. Oh, there's a weird moment, by the way, where we don't normally get this. Usually the Dorodoros either attack the Kaku Rangers or they menace people. But in this one, yes. they're just like hitting regular people with swords, and it's kind like, of pretty upsetting. hard. Yeah, like you see, like dudes are getting jacked with swords and then dying. So the or Kaka at Rangers, least like falling over real hard. Yeah. So the Kaka Rangers show up. I think Sasuke's gotten a haircut. They introduce themselves. They demand that Noparobo introduces himself, and then they just sort of get into a fight. It feels yeah, like the middle of an episode. Yeah, there's really not a whole lot going on there yeah 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 exactly it feels like just <laughs> just the middle of an episode so they get in a fight uh the rangers are dominating like the monsters are getting whooped and then uh we get uncle we get the narrator i can't remember his actual name i just call him uncle i just i just call him the narrator i don't know if he ever got a name so sasuke kicks a dorodoro and it flies over to a garbage can that i'm pretty sure was azuki Arai's garbage can that seems very likely. And I thought for a moment that Azuki and I was back, but instead, like, the narrator just pops out of this garbage can like he's Oscar the Grouch, and he's like, hey guys, I'm back! <laughs> it's me! So he pops up, and he, uh, he jacks a Dorodoro with the trash can lid. Yeah, oh, and, and then he's the like, Dorodoro gets back up, and he smashes a beer bottle over his head. That's a pretty good moment. And he's like, now he's announcing his attacks as he's making them. Like the Cocker Rangers do. He just yells, beer bottle! And he jacks the dude. So he says, hey, like, do you guys remember, like, A, me, and B, all the rest of this stuff? If you didn't, here's a chance to get caught up on all the crazy stuff from Cocker Ranger. And then he just says, it's a compilation episode. And I don't know why in that moment I was surprised. Right. (laughs) It's called a special compilation. And he just says, Yup, it's a compilation episode. I really I didn't expect them to just have a title like Just like Welcome to the Clip Show. Yeah, welcome to the clip show. And so So, he says we're here for like around the clock, 24 hour coverage. We're gonna show you like the ins and outs of like the Kaka Rangers and the Yokai. He has like a camera crew with him. Right. So the frame story here is that Uncle is doing like a nightline report 
on the Cocky Rangers. Right. So, like, in the middle of a Cocky Ranger episode. Because as it's going on, you can tell that, like, you know, the Cocky Rangers are fighting. And, like, there are things happening to them. We're just not following them, necessarily. We're, we're following the narrator and just sort of seeing them as they come in and out of this story. Yeah. So, the first thing, and I thought this was actually just part of the clip, because we see Shark Driver, which is their their Ninja Shark motorcycles. Yes, and how they like how the Ninja Shark motorcycles all fit together into, like, a ramp that shoots the red Ninja Shark motorcycle like a bullet at the monster. And yeah, I yeah. genuinely thought this was a clip show bit, just, like, reminding us all of the cool stuff that they have. Right. Nope, they just brought Shark Driver back, so that's what they used to kill No Bravo. <laughs> So, no, no Bravo dies. That's it. Oh, next scene. It is 6 a.m. the next morning. At the lake. And it is Uncle, and he is reporting from outside the tents. Because I don't know if you remember, but the rangers do not, like, they live sort of in Nakamaru. They're kind of nomadic, and they just sleep in tents. Uh, and the four male rangers share a tent, and then Tsuruhime has her own tent. So... He says, like, let's see how the rangers look, like, when they're asleep. And he just goes into their tent. And he's like, oh, look, they're so cute. They're like sardines in a can. Because, like, all four of them are sort of, like, cramped into this little tent. And he tries yeah, and to tickle Jiraiya. I mean, he does tickle Jiraiya under the yeah, nose with a big pink feather. Uh, Jiraiya does not wake up. And then the narrator makes the really good point that, like, these dudes are constantly exhausted because they have to spend all day like fighting yokai and driving and like doing their job. And then at night they just sleep on the ground wherever they are. Like it's kind of a bum deal. <laughs> right. They have no place to sleep. And so uh, then he pops out and he goes over to Suruhime's tent and he says, oh, Suruhime, she's my favorite. And he just goes into her tent too. Not appropriate, no, uncle. Not even a little appropriate. Um, and and uh, we, asks we, for a kiss. He says, "Oh, Suruhime, like, can I get a kiss?" And then there's we, just a quick beat. The the camera does not follow him into this tent. All we see is him go in, like, say that it's Suruhime's tent, ask for a kiss, and then all of a sudden, like, there is thrashing, and he is crawling out of the tent. Yeah, and he's gotten like he's like holding his face. But then we look into the tent, and Suruhime is fully dressed, because all the rangers just sleep in their clothes. Yeah, fully dressed, and seemingly still asleep. Like, she just, like, punched him a lot in her sleep. I That seems completely reasonable. And, I have no reason to doubt that Suruhime is capable of punching oh, a yeah. dude in, his, in her sleep. And also, it sort of keeps this thing going throughout the episode, where, like, they are just following people around, but the Kaka rangers never seem to notice the narrator being there. Yeah. Uh... So he walks over to Nakamaru, and he says, hi, Nakamaru, and Nakamaru, like, meows, hello, and he says, oh, now we're going to look on the inside of Nakamaru, as though we have not seen the inside of Nakamaru just, like, a bunch of times. Right. It's like, we are, he is treating us like we are people in the world of Kaku Ranger who have not gotten to see this stuff. Yeah. But we have seen it every week. Yeah, so he he goes inside Nakamaru and he's showing us, he's just showing us all the stuff that we literally already know is is inside Nakamaru. Right, he's like, like oh, here's the some, paddle to make some, the crepes. Yeah, some fishing rods and like, oh, here's, you know, ingredients and such. And then he eventually finds a remote control that like pops open the side of Nakamaru, which is how they sort of open it up when they're serving crepes out of it. Yeah. And then he's there's another button on there, and he's like, oh, I wonder what this button does. And he pushes a button, and out of the top, like a panel opens in the top of Nakamaru, and Chekhov's pirate cannon, like, elevates to the top. And uh, Yeah, like, I, I think you've described it exactly right, because it's not, like, just a gun turret thing. It is specifically, yeah. like, a cannon that you would see on a pirate ship. Yeah, it's got, like, the wooden side things and, like, wheels, and it doesn't have wheels because it's mounted. But, yeah, it's a pirate cannon, and it's just on Nekamaru's forehead, I guess, is, like, if you think of the cat as a truck, like, it's on the top, it's on the forehead part. But he doesn't know that this has happened, of course, because he's still inside Nekamaru. So he presses another button on the remote control, and the cannon fires at the Kaku Ranger's tents. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so their tents explode, and the rangers, like, run out, and they're freaking out, and the film crew just runs away. Yeah. <laughs> so, from here, we cut to, like, later on in the day, and the cocky rangers are, like, at work. They're selling crepes. Sudakime is out, like, serving tables. Jiraiya is in the truck making the food. Seikai is under the truck like, doing some work on Nekamaru's engine or whatever. And then uh, we got Saizo is, like, sewing, like, repairing some clothing, and Sasuke is taking a nap. But yeah. what is interesting about this is that the narrator says, now, if you watch them, they're not just doing this stuff. They are also, like, constantly doing ninja training. Yeah, all the time. This is very much a sort of wax-on, wax-off sort of scenario yeah, where they're in incorporating... Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, they're incorporating their ninja training into the stuff they already do. So Surahime gets paid for some crepes, and like with a handful of mixed change, and she throws the coins behind her, but she manages to throw this handful of mixed change into three, like there's they have different buckets for different denominations of coin, and she like throws them, and they all land in the correct denomination bucket. And then we cut over to Jiraiya, and he is fulfilling an order for some crepes, and when he cuts open, like, when he's opening up the, like, thing of dozen eggs to make some more uh, crepe batter, like, his knife work is such that he also, like, chops the top off of all the eggs at once so we can just pour the inners out. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool move. Uh, we see size Seikai, sorry, is, like, Seikai is on, like, a rolly thing, like a car worky rolly thing. You know the thing. Sure. And he's fixing Nekamaru, which... I still, like, I'm still very fuzzy on Nekamaru. I feel like I Like, wasn't. he's a magic cat. I wasn't before. I just assumed he was a magic cat truck. But apparently he needs engine work, because that's what Seikai is doing. Also, uh, Seikai has a juice box in, like, a juice box holder around his neck. I Like, he's been carrying something around that I've never been able to see what it is because it's obscured by his many, many, many layers of clothing. Uh, but it is, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just a juice box. At least this time it is. And listen, he's doing hard work. He needs to stay hydrated. Fair enough. That's, well, Seikai's hungry, like, all the yeah. time. That's his thing. But he, uh, he, he rolls out under the roly kari fixie thing, and he gets up, and it's a bed of nails. Yes, he has just been, like, chilling on a bed of nails doing, like, repair work on this car. Um, and then we cut over to Saizo, who is sewing buttons back on some of his many, many destroyed pieces of clothing. Uh, but he is doing it blindfolded. Yep. And then they find and then, Sasuke, and they're like, oh, well, Sasuke is just, like, slacking off and taking a nap. Which he kind of is. But when they look at him more closely, he is sitting in a chair. That chair is, like... It's a one, it's like a pogo chair. Like, it's just got one leg in the middle of it instead of having multiple legs. Yeah. And his and he feet is... are off the ground, and he is just, like, balancing perfectly on this one-legged chair. Yeah. So, they are all doing, like, super-duper impressive stuff. When all of a sudden, uh, Dorodoros come out of nowhere and start attacking the people. Yes. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. They don't come out of nowhere and start attacking the people. They pop out oh, of some bushes right. and run, like, the other way. And the narrator and his film crew are like, ah, Dorodoros, we need to follow them. Because, yes. like, that's where the action is. And so they just follow them away, and the cocky rangers continue to just do their job. Yeah, well, and do then one of their he jobs. says... Their less important right. job. Their more important job of fighting those Dorodoros, they completely ignore. Wait, listen, uh, the, <laughs> the uncle has already told us he's like, too bad, because fighting yokais does not pay the bills. So they have to make crepes. So he, we go from here, and this is where we get like the first full, like sort of clippy part. It literally just runs us through a synopsis of the first four or five episodes of the show. Like, here's the deal. Here's where all the monsters are from. Here's why they got sealed away. Sasuke and, Sa Sasuke and Saizo let them out. Now they're all the Kaku Rangers, and they're fighting them to save the world. Right. And then he says, like, and do you remember all the yokais that we fought? Like, let's go through the full list. And they just go through the entire list. And I'm not going to read them off here. Just the complete list of every monster that they have fought this season. 
Yes, they do. I have one small beef with this list, Matt. Oh, what's your beef? Can you guess what it is? No. Okay. Young Noble Jr. is on the list. Ex- well, except he's not, actually. Well, they okay. just his, list his him. Yokai form is on the list. The right. They j- yeah, they just list him as like, oh, yeah, he's, what is it, Dashidokuro? Dashidokuro. Gashi, it's like, oh, yeah, Gashidokuro, they fought that guy. It's like, man, Young Noble Jr. was like the primary antagonist of this entire show for like half the series. You can't just throw him in there. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just like one more guy that the Rangers killed. Right, it was like him and Tengu. Yeah, he's a big deal. Come on. That was really, I was just a little like. It was a little dismissive of our boy, Young Noble Jr. Yeah. So he goes to this full list. Um, and when he finishes, they have followed the Dorodoros to Daimao's, what they call palace, and I still think is a haunted house. Yes. And they just sort of, and it doesn't actually seem to be that big. This is definitely like, they got a, like a stock photo of a house that they thought looked kind of creepy, and then paid zero attention to how large this place actually is. Because as they're... Yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, like they're walking around inside. And so he says, like, here we are. We're outside of Daimu's palace. We're going to, like, see what's going on. And so they just walk in because apparently Daimu does not have security. Right. And I do like that there is a moment once they get in and they're just wandering down this hallway that's all, like, misty and evil looking that they kind of turn to each other and are like, man, we do not want to be here. Like, we need yeah, to be careful. Yeah, this is a bad idea. So the narrator just like opens a door at random and it happens to be where they have their like very nice indoor pool. Yes. Uh, which would be otherwise unremarkable except that the flowery Kuchoinigumi. No? Did I do it right this time? Yep. No, you're good. Um, are all like going in there to take a swim. And the narrator, because he's an old lech, is very excited about this. Yep. Yeah, he's just, he's just real excited. He's like, hooray, because at first we see them and they're all, they're like ninja gear. And he's like, ooh, they're undressing. And like, we don't see it, but we do see all of their, we see them from like the knees down. And all of their ninja clothes just hit the ground. And then the next time so we that see was them, they're all in swimsuits. So, right. I mean, I guess you can make an argument that they were wearing their swimsuits under their ninja gear. Because if there's one thing we know that Ninja can do in this show, it's wear layers. Yes, let's hope that that is the case. And so he's just like, just peeping on these girls, except he then does say, he's like, oh, hey, don't forget, the Kunoichi Gumi are actually cats. Which, A, it's nice to have that sort of like cleared up because remember we weren't sure if they were actually cats that got turned into people or lady ninjas that got turned into cats or what it was very confusing but yes they do now yeah. confirm that their true state is cat which makes uncles it just gets it makes it less okay somehow right like it was already Uncle. lecherous and creepy but now it's also doubly weird because they're cats yeah uh so we just we get a couple of shots. Uh, some of the Kunoichigumi are just playing in the pool. One is just lounging, and one of them is bench pressing, just like a bunch of weight. Oh yeah, and they like the the camera crew has this like little camera on a stick that they sort of sneak into the pool room, and I think that eventually they don't get caught, but they do think that if they continue to spy, they will get caught, and they don't want that, so they leave. Yes. So the next thing that we see is, I believe, Hakamenro. Yeah, he just pops his head into Hakamenro's room, and Hakamenro is, like, taking care of his sword. And the narrator reminds us, like, okay, hey, by the way, you know, this is... And this is weird, because except for that one bit in the middle, this isn't, like, clip show stuff. They're showing new footage. They filmed a whole episode. Just nothing happens. Because he, like, pops his head in, and Hakamenru is there. Like, they paid the actor to come in that week. And they said, yeah, he's Tsurihime's dad. He betrayed humans, except he didn't actually betray the humans. And we're really excited to see how this is all going to work out. Yeah, which, again, like, we were 
pretty sure that that was the case. I think the last time we saw them or saw Hakumenro, like we were sure. Oh, that's right. He did. I, you know, I totally forgot that he had shown up and like very definitively helped help the Rogers. Yeah, I think that was actually just like a week or two ago. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but we we cut from there to what's it next? Oh yeah, he goes and just like finds Daimyo's throne room and is just peeking in. And in Daimyo's yeah. throne room, um, they are talking about how uh, Noporobo is dead or has been defeated at least. And how the right. Kaku Rangers have their guard down now. But Naparobo actually isn't dead. And we see yeah. him in here. And it's actually a very cool shot of them like putting him back together. Yeah, because he is... He's like a crazy Frankenstein monster. And you can't actually kill him. Like You can just kind of blast him into pieces. But then... He man, he can like put himself to back together after that. Yeah, and there's this great shot of all the Dorodoros like with these giant needle and threads like sewing the pieces back onto him. Yeah, it's actually a pretty rad shot. So once he's put all the way back together, Noporobo, Noporabo, Noporabo, he turns to Daimu and Daimu's like, "Listen, uh, it's great that you're invincible. You need a little more firepower. I'm gonna get you some new weapons." And they just sort of appear out of energy. And they get attached to Noparabu, like Dr. Kanagami style, but like hidden, like Robocop gun. Yeah, there are just a bunch of guns that get put inside of him. I, I think Dave, wasn't Dr. Yagami? Yeah, sorry, Dr. Yagami, my bad. I, I do love that this is Daimyo's go-to move, because what that indicates to me is that Dr. Yagami was like a super strict company man and that like this was the <laughs> Daimyo house style. Like when you made stuff for your monsters, you just put guns on them. And Dr. Yagami was just very strict about adhering to that policy. So so now Noparabo has a whole bunch of additional armament. But it's also hidden. Now right. at this point, Which is pretty cool. Daimaru smells human. Yeah, like he can tell that the narrator and his crew are there. By the way, if it sounds like we're being super choppy here, I apologize. But it's a weird episode to follow because it really is jumping all over the place very quickly. Yeah, like we said, like there's not a ton of plot for this this actual episode. It's very strange. So Daimyo smells the narrator and his crew and says, like, ah, humans are here. Go get them. We cut to outside, like, sort of far away from the the palace. Or at least it must be, because every time we see the palace, it's very dark. Which I realize is probably, like, evil dark and not, like, nighttime dark. But this is, like, full daylight. Dorodoros are just carrying the narrator. Um, he is crying for help. And they throw him off of a bridge. Yes. And there's this so he... wonderful moment where, like, as he is falling... I mean, first of all, they very clearly just, like, throw a mannequin off the bridge. Um, but yeah. then they close in on him with the camera. And I think they're just, like, they have a fan... They turn the camera sideways and they have a fan behind them. And they're just, like, throwing, like, branches next to him to make it look like he's falling through the, like, tree line. Yeah, it's a fun effect. Um, but he is saying as he is falling, like, oh no, kids, what will happen to me? Like, can you, like, can't, I can't wait to find out. Like, still <laughs> narrating the episode as he's being thrown off of a bridge. So, so he, uh, there's like a quick commercial break that we cut back in, and he manages to catch himself on a tree branch. So he's, he's okay. Great. So when we come back, we've got the rangers driving Nekamaru into the quarry. And they all hop out and they look around. And they see Noparabu and the flowery Kuchuinigumi. Yes. And they say, aha, it's you. You're still alive. And they pull this piece of paper out and they say, you must be the ones who issued this challenge to us. So clearly, there is an episode going on around us that we're just not seeing. Right. That I thought was actually... <laughs> As weird as this episode is, I thought that was a really fun touch that, yeah, obviously other things are happening, but we missed it because we were with Uncle where he was perving on the Kunoichi Gumi. 
So the Rangers henge, and they rush over to Nopurabo, and he does kind of a move. We don't exactly know. He just, like, wiggles his fingers, actually. Yeah. And a bunch of chains spring out of the ground and attack the Rangers and wrap them up. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah, and, like, they can't move at all, and the enemies are starting to close in. But conveniently, uh, Sasuke has in his hands the very remote control we saw earlier, uh, presses the button... Nekomaru's head cannon jumps out, not the sort of head cannon that we are for- constantly forced to create to make this show make sense. Uh, the actual right. cannon that comes out of his actual head, and it blasts Noparabo. So that gives the Rangers just enough time, and Nekomaru drives. I was about to say runs, drives over and bites the chains, and then the Rangers are free. And Sasuke says, "I just want to point this out." Sasuke says, "Noparabo, did you think we'd fall for that trap so easily?" Just want to point out, you 100% did fall for that trap. Oh, yeah. That trap you, absolutely like, worked. You did do it, and it was very easy. Yeah, like, you got out of it, but you did fall for the trap, and that's a key distinction. So, the Kunoichigumi, they do their evil henge. I don't think we have a name for it. Uh, they say battle and, henge. Oh, yeah, thank you. And so... Now it's the Rangers versus the Kunoichigumi, and Noparabu is kind of in the mix as well, and I think there's some Dorodoros around... And we got a fight. And the fun thing about this fight, it's sort of, it's not a clip show fight. It's a showcase fight. Like, they're showing just, off well, yeah, all of, like, their sh- classic moves. Right. So Sasuke does a flamethrower, and Seikai does, like, a giant-sized illusion. Um, let's see. Saizo just has shuriken, which is, like, that is a classic Kaka Ranger move, but I feel a little bad that he got stuck with that one. Yeah, like, he has other stuff. Uh, we get from Tsuruhime the falling cherry blossom, and from Jiraiya we get his triple kick, his three kick. Yes, which I I remember him doing in the past. Um, I feel He's like done it was it significant in time? an earlier episode. Or maybe yeah, he just liked I, it, so we talked about it a lot. I think he does it, does he do it when he's fighting Gali Sensei? Uh, I honestly don't remember. Okay, so anyway, so we each get, like, we get a little moment for each of the three rangers, and then Sasuke pulls out his, like, special sword that he got from Subasamaru. The lightning sword. The lightning sword, which I feel like this should be a much bigger deal and does not seem to be. Yeah, he's used it, like, five times, maybe. But, like, in any case, Noparabu is, like, shooting bombs at Sasuke, like, out of his kneecaps. Like, his kneecaps have rocket launchers in them. Um, yeah, he's got like a gun on his shoulder. He's got all sorts of stuff. Sasuke like avoids all the bombs, hits him with the hidden lightning cut, and that is basically it for the human-sized fight. Yes. So he he pulls himself back together, and all the rangers are like, what is going on? And he's like, I did tell you guys I was invincible, but now I'm going to crush you with gigantism. And I, it's a little bit different in this show, because in the other shows, the giantism... You know, like, they had, like, a giant bomb, uh, you know, for for Die Ranger, and then they would be empowered, like, as a reflex in Jetman, they would go giant. What's weird about the yokai is that they all seem to be making a conscious choice to go giant. And we've... Which is... It's weird because we also have seen them later, like, recover from being giant. So it seems yeah. like they can do that sort of at will. Or at right. least, you know, so, it might not be an at will ability. Maybe it's like a daily ability or something. But still. Yeah, or something. But it's like, guys, I know that this is like your go-to power move, but but you know they have giant... I don't know why this is suddenly occurring to me now. Yo-Kai, you guys, you know they have giant robots. Like, you know this for a fact. And if anything, the giant, ro- like, pound for pound, the giant robots are much more powerful than the rangers. And there's more of them. There's way more of them, which we are about to see. Yeah. So they they go giant, and Sasuke, like, they all summon their god beasts. Oh, god beast general, sorry. And Sasuke literally just says, like, hey, guys, uh, you chill. I've got this one. So he... God Saruder does Saruder cloning, which I don't think we've seen before. It is pretty friggin' rad. Yeah, it's the first time we've seen this move. And it's cool because 
Saruter, I think, is the only one that can do it because there are three versions of Saruter, right? There's like the Beast General Saruter, there's God Saruter, and then there's also like the Beast Fighter Saruter, which is like the more streamlined yes. one that we got in the middle of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all basically human shaped. Right. And so he does Saruter cloning. And his, like, God Saruter becomes all three of those dudes fighting together. Yeah, it's pretty rad. So he does, like, they all three do their kind of special moves. So we get Saruter Claw, and then another thing, and then, like, Saruter Double Cut. And Oberobu gets beat again. So he falls again into pieces, and then he reassembles himself. It's actually a pretty cool effect that they did, because they built a big, I guess, just, like, foam version that is empty, like that is just solid of the suit. And then they cut it into pieces and then they kind of let it fall apart. And then they just reverse that footage and then they cut away and it's the dude in the suit again, but it looks really neat. It was a nice shot. Yeah. So he's so, back, but thankfully here's some backup coming in on his Goku cloud is Ninja man. Cause it's a clip show and we need to see everybody. So here he is. Yeah. Just everybody. So Ninja man arrives. He goes to attack Noparabu with a sword. Noparabu catches the sword like in his hand, I guess. And he just says, ha, you're a novice. Novice. Are you calling me novice? Yeah, I'm calling you novice. What are you going to do about it? Samurai man. And then the Rangers summon Kakure Dai Shogun. So now it's Ninja Man and Kakure Dai Shogun. Ninja Man drops the, what is it? The Samurai Rage Bomber? Yes. And then... He, he Hidokens him. Yeah, he, he does the Hidoken, and then Kakure Dai Shogun flies at him and punches him with his... Iron Fist, Iron Fist flying finish, Matt. Now, now by the way, at, at this moment, I would like to read for you something uh, from one of our uh, listeners and followers on Please Twitter. Please do. Um, I think we've read something from them before. They're at LiveBird555. So, Sounds familiar. The word, in Japanese, the word for novice is Aonisai. Aonisai. Okay. But Ayo, the just A-O is how it's anglicized, means blue. And Ninja Man is blue. Like, that's what color he okay. is. Okay. And in Japan, like, in Japanese, blue is occasionally used to describe things that are, like... He says green, but he doesn't, I don't think he means li- the literal color green. He means like, you know, inexperienced. Oh, okay. So it would be as though, he says in English, it would be like if the monsters were always calling him a greenhorn and his costume was colored green. Got it. So oh, okay. he goes on a little beyond that. But generally speaking, like there is a like in story, like language appropriate, like pun that is why they keep doing that. It's not just completely out of the blue. Okay. Well, thank, yeah, thank goodness, because, yeah, no, I'm just glad that it makes some sort of sense. Much bad. Okay, so where were we? Oh, the, the monster's dead. He Well, okay, yep. he gets blown up again, and he is about to recombine himself. But before all of the pieces can fly back together, Ninja Man just, like, steps on the piece of his exterior that is his tummy and so when yeah, he all and he comes just together kinda... like there's a part of him that's missing yes and so when he reforms he's like ha now I'm gonna kill you guys again but for some reason but... like lacking the one piece means that like he didn't come together properly and his stomach is very cold and so he dies it's a very sort of anticlimactic end to an otherwise kind of unstoppable monster. Yeah, so... <laughs> like, I genuinely thought that what they were going to do is now that he was missing a piece, that would be, like, the weak spot in his armor and they would stab him. But no. No, that's not what happens. He literally just falls over because his stomach is cold. Yeah, that's... And listen, we've all been there, but I was expecting yeah. a little more here. So, uh... So, yeah, that's That's kind of the episode. We cut back to the narrator. He's all bandaged up from getting thrown off of a bridge. And he says, hey, I'm sorry I missed the fight, but uh, it looks like everything worked out for our heroes. Let's continue to cheer them on. And uh, I will see. I don't know if he says I'll see you next week because I'm pretty sure we never see this guy again. And that's it for the episode, which is weird. I yeah, feel like we should have was... kept, like, we. I want to keep talking about this because, like, we haven't yet hit the amount of time that we normally spend talking about these episodes. 
but there's kind of not a lot to talk about unless you want to take this opportunity to talk about like a retrospective on this season thus far. I mean, I guess we could, but our whole show is the retrospective. Yeah, and we're kind of kinda? too close to the end. Like we're gonna yeah, like, be we'll doing do a retrospective end, but... soon when we're done. Like now is the wrong is exactly the wrong time for it. Yeah. So nah, man. Let's just. Let's just roll, I guess. Okay. Well, before we finish up then, Dave, um, where does Noparabo land? How does he fare, rather, in the Creature Royale? Okay. First of all, I want to say I dig his look. He, but he, you know, like, he doesn't have, and it's cool that he's invincible. Like, that's a neat twist that he gets beat and comes back and gets beat and comes back. But, like, he doesn't really have a plan. He just kind of is a monster that they fight. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. Because, honestly, I really do feel like since this was, like, a weird pseudo-clip show thing, they didn't really want to go too deep into the monster. And so they just gave us, like, a very basic monster of the week. Like, he's one color. He has one gimmick. He has a blank face. Like, he is just, like, just default monster. Yeah, so I actually think he's, like, pretty low on the list because there's not a whole lot that sets him apart. Okay, he's better than Sergeant Cannon. Honestly? He's better than all... Nah, he's not better than Sergeant Cannon. Sergeant Cannon, like, at least had a cool look and he deserved better out of his episode. Like, this dude was just kind of nothing. Yeah, oh, you know what? No, I I was mixing up. I was thinking that Sergeant Cannon got beat by his own powers. So... He's definitely better than I would say any of the monsters that got beat by their own. So he's better than like Father Magnet. He's better than Kasabake the Umbrella Monster. That guy was weird. See, I was actually going to put him just below Kasabake and right next to Jet Fighter Dimension. Because Jet Fighter Dimension, I feel like, was the like the first transformed like thing that they had to fight in Jetman. It's very basic. It just introduces the idea of the monsters to you. And I kind of feel like this dude is the same. Like it's episode 39, but he has that same sort of like blank slate quality. Yeah, actually that makes a ton of sense. So yeah, there he goes. That is his, he is just above jet fighter dimension. So which puts him at slot, what is that, 68 on the list? Yep, and there he shall remain. I mean, maybe not forever. I mean, things things move around on the list. That's kind of the point. But for today, at least, Noparabo lands at number 68 on our list, and that is going to do it for another episode of A View to a Kaka Ranger. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all you can email the show at supercentirebrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at Super Sentai Bros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Please rate and review up there. Um, that's what's going to help new people find the show. Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.